Yo, 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 welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah K Podcast. Welcome back, welcome back. So, whew, it's been a long and exciting week. Um, obviously, we're gonna I'm gonna dive into uh last week's NFL. We had some great games. Um, no, there's no longer an undefeated team no more. The Philadelphia Eagles were handed their first loss, so I'm definitely gonna talk about that. I know you guys are excited, but we I know I said a lot, but we got we really got I got some good segments for you guys. I got some good topics, got a lot to get into, um, and so forth. So let's let's really get into it. Let's dive in deep into it. Um, you guys know how we give it up. This is the, the regular episode for the week. Obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys my top 10 list. I do want to give you guys a little bit of a college football reaction as well. So all of that is in store. But first and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kidd of the Isaiah Kidd Podcast. Welcome back. So, uh, you know, show love to everybody. If you're a first-time listener, shouts out to you. Greatly appreciate you tapping in, tuning in. Um, thank you. Whoever, however you found this podcast, welcome. And if you are a regular listener, shouts out to you. Big ups to you. Regular listeners, love it. Greatly appreciate it. So let's get into it. Let's let's not waste any time. Let's let's get into it. So a lot of interesting stuff happened all throughout last week's NFL. And I want to touch on, as I mentioned, I want to touch on the Eagles. The Eagles were handed their first laws. And there was there was a lot of skepticism around Philadelphia because it's like, okay, we accept that they're undefeated. But who have they really played? And I came to Philadelphia's, I came to the Eagles defense because I'm like, okay, you can argue who have they played, but they're dominating and winning every game convincingly. So with them playing, if you want to say like a lighter, easier schedule, granted, that's fair. But with that, you also got to coincide and say, hey, they have been dominant. Now, their schedule really doesn't – I think they probably get another loss or two, probably to a division rival, and here's my point. Here's my reasoning for that. Philly – the Eagles have a very – like, they have a very, like, sophisticated offense, very unique. The quarterback is unique. I think their offense itself is unique. So they took on – they lost to the Washington Commanders, and I must say, the Commanders, since Taylor Heineke has taken over, the Commanders, they like offensively, there's just more fluidity. They just look more whole and together as a team with Taylor Heineke under center. I don't think much of Taylor Heineke. I don't think he's like a franchise guy per se, but I think for this for this brief stretch right now for Washington. He's been like he's been the one that has turned around their season. So, so the Commanders they're playing good football. So this isn't like the Eagles. Like no, the Commanders are playing good football and they find themselves at five hundred. But this was a good test for Philadelphia, and it's games like this where they, they granted they lost and they didn't play well. This be, just because Philadelphia lost, that don't mean I'm selling my Philadelphia stock. I still think this team is really good. My feelings, because you, I had Philly as my number one team last week. 
my feelings about Philadelphia hasn't changed. I just have more data and information. That's how I look at it. I have more data and information on Philadelphia. Because what did I say last week when I was ranking my top 10 teams and I had Philadelphia number one? What did I say? i tell you what I said. I said the Eagles, weirdly enough, throughout this entire season, they have been able to control the turnover margin and time of possession. Every game this year up until Washington, up until they played Washington this past Monday night, they have been able to control time of possession. They haven't trailed a lot of the, a lot of the time. Like a lot of times they haven't trailed. I think it, going into every fourth quarter, they have had the lead. And more importantly, they won the turnover margin and they time of possession. That's been the two dominant factors where Philly has just completely just dismantled their opponents. It's time possession, and they won, They they have won the turnover margin every game. So like I was saying, Philadelphia, Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts, this offense, it's really sophisticated. So the first time you play it, the first time you face it, it can be a bit a surprise factor. There's like a surprise element to Philadelphia that I think certain teams have. Like you think about the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. When Lamar Jackson first took over as the starter, it was like a shock because, like, he's so fast and the way how the Ravens were utilized, like, it was really hard to contain. But, like, you know, certain teams play Baltimore a couple times a year. They're like, oh, okay, they, they, they started to catch on to it. I'm not – Baltimore has, I think, over the past few years, over the past last couple years, and Lamar Jackson himself, he has gotten over those 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 hurdles, right? But here's the thing with Philadelphia. We have never seen them trail. Throughout this entire season, we never seen Philadelphia's back against the wall. So like I said, my feelings about the Eagles haven't changed. I still think you look at the NFC playoff picture, you look at the, the landscape of the NFC, I mean, it's still the same. It's still the same, but I think it's important that we actually get to see Philadelphia. And we were like, oh, the Philadelphia Eagles all throughout this year, the one thing that's been consistent is time possession. So they're able to run the ball effectively. They've been able to convert on third down. They get they get your they get the opposing offense off the field on third downs, which they struggle with with Washington. They've been able to control it. But this kind of felt like somewhat of a playoff game. This is what a playoff game would feel like for Philadelphia. Some things, there's some unforeseen things. There was a fumble. I think in the fourth quarter, there was um, Jalen Hurts had completed a deep pass, deep bomb down the middle. The receiver caught it, fell, got back up, fumbled. Like stuff like that. Stuff like that happens. It's football. And that's why we love football. Like stuff like that just happens where it's like, it's like, hey, fumbles, time possession, maybe you can't run the ball, passing game isn't as efficient as it usually is. That's just what comes with the sport, and I think that's why we like it so much. But when I look at this Eagles team, I still think they're a good team. So, like, I know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, they got exposed, all the Eagles. It, it was like an I got you moment. Everybody is looking for the I got you moment. 
With Philadelphia, my feelings haven't changed. And a lot of it is, okay, granted, my feelings haven't changed because I still think they're week in, week out, they're gonna ex they're gonna be able to execute better than the opposing team. Their schedule is not like tough, like their schedule don't get rough. They still have a really, really friendly, feasible schedule. So nothing like nothing about Philly changes for me. They're probably they're gonna they're gonna probably end up as number one seed, and they're gonna probably have a buy. They're gonna have the buy, and they're gonna be hosting a playoff game, maybe multiple playoff games. I just have I look at it. I look at this loss for the Eagles. I just have more data. I actually got to see what Philadelphia looks like from playing from behind, and that was the big. That was a lot of people's question: Can Jalen Hurts come from behind and win with his arm? Like. You know, that was that that like that was the next question. That's the next step. So, like I said, the landscape of the NFC hasn't changed. Think about it. The Giants, they're seven and two. They look really good, but they look really Saquon Barkley dependent. And I think we can all admit, like the Giants, they have like a ceiling. There, there's like a ceiling there. The Seahawks, great story. Pete Curl's done a great job with his Seahawks, and he's done a great masterful coaching job, but. Geno Smith is their quarterback. I don't know how that's wet. I don't know how rookies translate to the playoffs. I don't. We we don't know. The 49ers, very talented, very deep. I think I think the 49ers like talent for talent, roster for rosters. Like they match up really well versus Philadelphia. But who's to say a couple key guys won't be hurt for the 49ers? You know, the Cowboys. Cowboys, they're the Cowboys. Tampa Bay is five and five, sure, but they struggle to run the football effectively, and they struggle to stop the run effectively. So the landscape throughout the NFC hasn't changed much. It hasn't changed much. It hasn't. It hasn't. So I, I, it, for Philadelphia, I don't, I don't think it changes a thing for me. I think it's more so of a. I know I have a little bit more data on them, and we know what they look like playing from behind. So let's let's shift gears. Um, I want to get to let's get to Josh Allen. I don't know when exactly I said this, but over the last three games, uh, Josh Allen reminds me a lot of Brett Favre. <clears throat> Brett Favre, granted, now Brett Favre, he I, the Brett Favre, the person off the field since he's retired from football, not a huge fan of. But Brett Favre on the field, when he first entered the league, he had a he had very much of a wow factor where like his arm, the mobility, him being a gunslinger, like Brett Brett Favre in the like mid to late nineties. Going into the 2000s was arguably probably one of, if not the best quarterbacks, because he just had like a wow and just like a it quality and an it factor about himself. Um, whether that was like physically and then like also like all the other stuff that comes with Brett Favre, the player, right? People just wrap their arms around that, and I feel like that's kind of the same thing with Josh Allen, where I think Josh Allen is this 
generation's Brett Favre in terms of he has such a wow factor physically where, like, he is just stronger, bigger, faster, great arm, can make all the throws that's needed, mobile. Like, he has it all. He has all the twos physically. But then they have, similar to Brett Favre as well, in these big moments, they have these weird hiccups. They have these weird mistakes. They tend to make these weird, they have these weird tendencies. And it's like, I don't know. Over the last three games, the Buffalo Bills offensively have scored a whopping zero touchdowns in the last three games in the second half. In the second half of the last three games, zero touchdowns. Josh Allen in the last three games, Seven turnovers, six interceptions, one fumble. That's a lot. That's a lot. And it's very much, it's very, like, reminiscent of Brett Favre. Where, like, you love Brett one minute. Like, it's the it's the old, like, he can throw you in a game or he can throw you out of a game. And I feel like Josh Allen has, like, similar elements to himself where, like, he has a great wow factor, and many can argue. I won't. I won't agree because I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football. But many would argue that Josh Allen is the best quarterback in football, and I think a lot of people would probably argue definitely that he is the most physically gifted quarterback in football. Right? Well, those same arguments were being made for Brett Favre, especially in the peak of his powers and his prime. Those same arguments were made. But the Bills, I've said this, they have become very Josh Allen dependent. And I think with Josh Allen, I think he's, like I said, he's kind of like the mist, like a mystery. We're like super talented, has all the physical traits and tools that you can ask for a quarterback, especially in 2022. But the decision making. In close games, the Bills, they are really, really bad in close games over the past two years. Over the past, since 2021, in games def- in games decided by eight or less points, the Bills are two in six. They're two in six. And mind, mind you guys, that was one of my biggest concerns. One of my biggest concerns coming into this season was, okay, I think Buffalo's really, I think Buffalo, talent for talent, Buffalo probably got the best roster in football, but can they win close games? I don't trust them in close games. They can win, like, they win the blowouts. They 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 can boat race you. They can lap you. They can, they can blow you out the stadium. But can they win close games? Can they win close games? That's always been one of my biggest concerns, and then, I think my biggest concern for them this year is like running the football, but them not being able to run the football kind of coincides with them not being able to win close games because point in reference, point in example, this past weekend versus the Vikings, they were up 10. There's no reason why Buffalo couldn't just man up, turn, Give the ball to their running backs. Give they have decent running backs. It's not like their running backs aren't good. Like they have really they have really talented backs in the backfield. It, it, like Buffalo, you're up 10. 
hand the ball off, melt the clock, go home with the victory. Nope. They get past happy. Josh Allen has, like I said, has these weird red zone turnovers. I hate, like, for me, I think the stat interceptions, especially in 2022, where a lot of teams, most teams will prefer their quarterback to be really, really aggressive. So I think, like, the the, the interception stat is a bit, a bit, I'm not going to say overrated, but for me, when I think of interceptions, my quarterback, I want my quarterback to be aggressive and take shots down the field. But I don't want my quarterback turning over or throwing interceptions when I'm deep in my territory or when I'm in the red zone. Because when I'm in the red zone, that's points. That's points that I'm giving away if I if my quarterback is turning over the football. That's easy points. And then when I'm deep in my when I'm deep in my territory, I don't want my quarterback throwing interceptions because you know why? The field flips, and then the the opposing team has good has really good field position. So with interceptions, like I said, I think the stat itself, especially in this era of football, it's not as bad as like we think of like interceptions. I don't mind my quarterback having 10, 11 interceptions on the year, but it's it's just a matter of where, where and when, where and when do you get those interceptions in the red zone? Like, because <laughs> half your interceptions shouldn't be coming in the red zone. I I, don't, I hate red zone interceptions. I hate them. I hate them. And Josh Allen has he's had two costly ones in the past two weeks. I I hate it. I hate red zone interceptions. So that's my take. Josh Allen. It's this generation's Brett Favre. I've said, I think I've said this. Um, it even if I haven't said this on this pod on my own podcast, I have definitely gone on different platforms and other people's shows, and I'm like, Josh Allen's super talented. So was Brett Favre. Brett Favre had a wow factor. So does Josh Allen. Both of them are really fit, like for their time, for Brett Favre's time, like physically superior. Josh Allen physically superior. Like, there's a lot of similar traits that are really positive. But then they 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 have these gunslinger tendencies where their arms are so, so damn good. They think they can make every throw. And sometimes it's like, what the hell were you looking at? Like, Brett, I, mean, I can remember Brett Favre making certain throws. I'm like, what the, what the hell is he? Where, where, where was he going with that football? And Josh Allen... I have a couple of those moments with Josh Allen on a weekly basis where I'm like, where the hell did he think he was getting that ball? Like, that's a tight window. So that's my take on that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a quick break real quick. I'll be back. I'm gonna talk about Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders. All right, so I'm back. Um how do I start this? Because this has been at the, this has kind of been at the forefront of my mind. This summer, we we really dived into quarterback contracts and looking at, um, you know, some possible extensions. Uh, obviously, we dived, we dive, we dove in deep into some extensions that happened this summer and so forth. And I feel like I, I've been saying this for some time. A couple of weeks ago, I think I said this. I made this remark. The quarterback play, just overall, I'm not talking about like, 
I think like the top tier guys like Mahomes, um, Josh Allen, to a certain degree, I think have separated themselves. I said this a couple weeks ago. I think they have separated themselves. Like grip given, I know I just talked about Josh Allen. I'm like, he's having a bad stretch. He is, right? But ultimately, I think the body of work and overall, Mahomes and Allen has they, they they've separated themselves. I think guys like Lamar, Joe Burrow, I think they come in really, really close and they come like they they're really good. Most weeks, they look really, really dominant, right? But after that, like, there's just a lot of just mediocre, I would say mediocre quarterback play. I'm just going to say it like that, like mediocre quarterback play. So I think that's how I'm going to introduce this topic, right? And I'm, I've been, like I said, I've been really feeling this for some time now, especially given the struggles, like the early struggles that they were having. Derek Carr is not going to be the Raiders quarterback next year. Derek Carr is not going to be the Raiders quarterback. Like, and you guys know I like Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is – I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's pretty good. Elite? No. Um, I think some would argue, given the given what he did last year, him ha- him having to overcome all of the Raiders' instability, like just not being stable as a franchise and moving – like a lot of people could argue that he's – with not necessarily top 10 – but 11, 12, 13 range, right? But he won't be the Raiders quarterback next year. Now, I saw Devontae Adams' comments last week. Wasn't able to talk about them, but I saw his comments um, on the Raiders' struggles and so forth. And basically, I'm not going to – I don't have the whole thing out in front of me, but basically his comments kind of summarize, like, the Raiders' struggles this year and how basically – he he ain't getting the ball enough. He's not getting the ball enough, and he don't think he don't feel that Derek Carr is he takes enough chances. And that's always kind of been like the rep. That's always been Derek Carr's reputation. Not really taking enough shots, not really being aggressive enough, not taking too many chances. That that's always been his thing. So here's a couple reasons, and I laid it out. Here's a couple reasons why I think the Raiders or I think Derek Carr is not going to be the Raiders quarterback. Adams came out and made that comment. Devontae Adams is an elite receiver. Even given that, like, he's he he feels that he's not getting the ball as much as he should, or he, he feels like he, he should be utilized a little bit more. He is still an elite receiver in this game. In top two, top three, I don't know, however you want to do it, however you want to put it, he is an elite receiver at in this game. Like I said, Derek Carr is good. Not great, not elite, but he's he's a pretty, pretty good quarterback. Teams usually stick towards they usually stick with elite talents. That's the first point. As I already stated, a lot of Devontae Adams comments comes comes like kind of stints from Derek Carr. And him not really being aggressive enough, him not really pulling the trigger enough, him not being able to take shots down the field as uh, aggressively as you want your quarterback would, you know, as you want your quarterback to do so in 2022. That's point two. I think also the most notable point is this. 
this current Raiders re- regime, the the coach Josh McDaniels, the GM, they didn't draft Derek Carr. They didn't draft Derek Carr, so like they inherited Derek Carr. So there's, there's no like, this is our guy. This we got it. Like th- there's none of that. They didn't draft Derek Carr. They just they got the jobs. Hey, Josh McDaniels was hired the coach. Like Derek Carr was just there already. And then lastly. His dead cap hit. His dead cap hit is literally small. So if the Raiders were to make a move off of Derek Carr by June 1st, they saved $30 million in the cap. They said they, they saved $30 million in the cap. And, and and this is not me saying Derek Carr isn't a good quarterback. Like I said, I think he is a good quarterback. But I do I do think the Raiders think they can upgrade. And they think they can get better. And for Derek Carr's sake, as I said, he has overcome a lot with this Raiders organization. He's overcome a lot. I mean, just think about last year, the past 13, 15 months. Head coach, John Gruden, like everybody thought John Gruden was going to be, you know, he had signed a 10-year contract. John Gruden fired. Henry Ruggs. He hit a Las Vegas civilian in jail. <laughs> I mean, you look at the last, you look at the last six, seven first round draft picks that the Raiders have made. Most of them are either cut or not even on the team. Like they're not even on the team no more. Like a lot of the Raiders draft picks, high end draft picks in the first round have not worked out. Like they so like the Raiders, there's been a lot of just inconsistency. I mean, this franchise is not stable. It's it's been it's been honestly a shit show. So I'm not saying Derek Carr like Derek Carr. This also could help him because he's been overcoming a lot with this Raiders organization. I'm just telling you, I just don't think I have a really funny, strong suspicion that Derek Carr will not be the Raiders quarterback. And if if we're being honest, if we look at this Raiders talent in terms of their roster, a lot of their talent is very much lopsided. It's a lot of their talent is on the offensive side of the football. So them being able to save because they their draft capital, they went out and spent a first rounder and a second rounder on Devontae Adams, which I'm not saying he's not worth it, but they gave up a first and a second. A team that wasn't already hitting on the draft, right? Like I said, their last, you look at their last six, seven first round picks, a bunch of them haven't worked out. (laughs) So a team that was already not hitting in the draft and hitting the draft out the park gave up two really high end picks. So they need all the money that they can get. The Raiders need all the cap space they can get so they can improve their roster. Furthermore, in terms of their defense, because like I said, a lot of their talent is is so lopsided and it's on the offensive side of the ball. So if the Raiders are able to move off for of Derek Carr and save $30 million, mind you, they just extended Derek Carr this past summer. I know one could say like, OK, they just extended him. Why? But this is their out of that contract. They they have found out his, his like I said, his small, his dick, his dead cap hit. It's not that huge. It's not huge at all. 
and then if they if they move off him by June first of this of this of June first, twenty twenty three, they're looking at saving possibly close to thirty million dollars. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of money if they're able to move off of him. So, like I said, I don't think Derek Carr is going to be the Raiders' quarterback this year. I just or next year. I don't. I would be. I would honestly be genuinely surprised if he is. Given the list that I pointed out, and I think the last two are probably the most important. Carr is good, but I think the Raiders, you know, the Raiders, they they probably like they probably know like they can move on. They think they could probably find better, right? Josh McDaniels kind of in the hot seat, kind of not because they can't fire him because they can't afford to fire him and just pay him outright because the Raiders, like I said, <laughs> they're broke. The Raiders are broke, so they can use the available cap space. They can use that. So, given those those last two reasons, not so much okay, like Devontae, yeah, whatever. But the last two reasons I think are the most notable reasons, and probably like I said, the most important reasons as to why the Raiders and Derek Carr part ways. Coach and GM, they don't really owe him anything. They inherited him. They're not, that's not the guy they drafted. That's not the guy they drafted a quarterback. So it's 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 not like this onus that, like, hey, we got to make this work because this is the guy we drafted. No, no, no. This is not the guy they drafted. Coach and GM trying to save their job, not really the guy they drafted. And then, like I said, financially, it just makes it, like, looking at the Raiders' financial structure, looking at their roster structure, Financially kind of makes sense. They're gonna be a bad team this year. They're they're two and seven currently. So they're not gonna to win too many more games, I don't think. They're not gonna to win too many more games. Coach and GM. That's not their guy. They can stay they, they, they don't have a lot of stock put into Derek Carr. And then lastly, like I said, financially, you save $30 million in the cap. After you just extended him, you the Raiders just gave him an extension. So after just giving him an extension, the Raiders can save thirty million, thirty million to cap. That is, if you're the Raiders, you should take that. And if you're Derek Carr, granted, you must, you may like, you may like playing for the Raiders, and you may love Las Vegas or whatever. But if you're Derek Carr, you get out of this dysfunctional organization. I think it I think it can work for both ways. It works both ways, I feel. Derek Carr, I mean, he shouldn't just be rotten in in in, in Vegas, like you know, happen to overcome so many things, but also Vegas, like, hey, Derek Carr is good. He's pretty good. Not great, not elite, but he's good. Think they should both part ways. Um <clears throat> So let's shift. Uh, I'm gonna go to college football. I want to go to college football, and I, I, you guys, I don't know if you guys know where I'm going with this, but I think some of my people know. If you don't, it's okay. But how the college, the latest college football rankings came out, and I must say, a week after I had a lot of discrepancy with the playoff committee. I'm like I said, the committee. I told you guys this last year. I mean, last week. 
I don't think this is a perfect system. I think it's ver I think the system is very much broken in how they pick these teams. And this is not like personal, like at the committee, but I think just the overall flow and the organization of it, I think it's broken because there is no criteria, right? And that leaves a room for error and objectivity. But this week, I must admit, the committee didn't do a bad job. The committee did not do a bad job. And it's I could I can nitpick, but like there's really nothing that like just stands out. Like last week, last couple weeks, the first couple weeks, it was like, whoa, Clemson's way too high. Clemson's not a top 10 team, right? I think we can all acknowledge that and accept that. Um USC, uh, you wanna have them four spots ahead? Sure, man. TCU should be like those were like relevant discrepancies. This week, we have Georgia at one, we have Ohio State at two, we have Michigan at three, we have TCU at four, Tennessee at five, and LSU at six. Now, I'm gonna point out something really interesting to you guys. <clears throat> Following LSU at six, USC is at seven with Alabama at 8, Clemson at 9, and Utah at 10. Me personally, I would have Penn State within the top 10. Clemson would not be within my top 10. Um, That's just me. I would have Penn State within the top 10. Um, Not Clemson. I want to go through a little scenario, and I I, want to make sure I don't lose you guys. Because I think there is a potential path for USC to make the playoff. All of this is hypothetical. But let's just say, let's just do this. Let's, um, USC is at seven. Here is where USC could possibly get into the playoff. And I'm going to start with USC. Now, obviously, USC has to win out. They like that's just a given. They have to win out in order to get into the playoff, right? They have to they have to win out. USC is that team that is lurking. I've been hinting at this about if there was a Pac-12 team that could and probably should make the playoff, it would be USC. Because of the LA market, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, we already know the, the, the committee is heavy on the brand bias. But I've been hinting at this, that the Pac-12's, the, probably the, the Pac-12's best chance was USC at making it. Now, here is the thing. A lot of these teams in front of USC can't do too much resume building like Georgia. They, okay, they can they can beat LSU and the SEC champion, but it, like SC shouldn't be worried about Georgia. Georgia, they're practically virtually locked in, but like TCU, Tennessee, the loser of Michigan, Ohio State, those three teams are really the three teams to watch out for if you're an SC fan. Because they can't do too much resume building while USC can. USC plays a really, really big game 
over um, – they play a really big game versus UCLA this upcoming week. They play Notre Dame, and they play whoever in the Pac-12 championship. So we're looking at three possibly rank they like like USC has the chance to add three more ranked wins to their resume. No, I don't think there's any other team that can really say that that they can add three more ranked wins to their resume. UCLA at 16, Notre Dame at 18. Um and like I said, the Pac-12, whoever they play in the Pac-12 championship, if they were to win out. So it could be Utah, could be Oregon, could be Washington. We don't know. But I would imagine those teams would probably be ranked. Like I said, none of this – let's start with the scenario. None of this works out if SC don't win out. SC has to win out. So let's just say SC wins out. Uh, they beat UCLA. They beat Notre Dame. And they win, they're going to win the Pac-12. Right. So USC now has their Oregon State win, their UCLA win, their uh their Notre Dame win, and who whoever they play in the Pac-12 championship. Now to make things easier, let's just say Georgia goes on to win the SEC and they're the number one seed, which I think is gonna probably happen. So Georgia's number one seed, that's one spot taken. The number two seed, uh, let's say the winner of Michigan, Ohio State. They go on to the winner of Michigan, Ohio State, going to win the Big Ten. So whoever whoever wins that game, they're the two seed. Boom. Top two seeds locked up. Here's where things get interesting. TCU. And I went on, I I went on a lot, I went on somebody's live stream and podcast last week, and I said, I literally said, TCU's worst nightmare. Is them losing a game and USC winning out. And I say this because if TC say TCU makes it to the Big 12 championship game, they clinched already. So let's say TCU, Big 12 championship game, they lose in the Big 12 championship game. Well, that opens up, that opens up Pandora's box. Because now you have TCU, who is a one loss. Non-champ, Tennessee, a one-loss non-champ, and then LSU, and then I'm not LSU, but because LSU they would have they would have three losses on the season, they would be out. One-loss TCU, non-champ. One-loss Tennessee, non-champ, non-conference champ, and then the loser of Ohio State and Michigan. Let's just say, for argument purposes, it's Michigan that loses. We now have three, we have four one-loss teams, and the only conference champion is USC. Granted, I think in that type of scenario, I'm just going to give you what the committee would probably go with, and I'm going to give you my personal preference and my personal opinion. With that scenario, if TCU lost in the Big 12 championship, they were one loss non conference champ. Tennessee, one loss non conference champ. Michigan, one loss non conference champ. That third spot would probably go to Tennessee. I, I, I hate to break it to people. In the SEC, it's still the SEC, but that third spot would probably go 
to Tennessee. So that leaves one more spot and three possible teams. I think Clemson, and I know people are like, well, Clemson could be a one-loss non-champ. Okay, you goddamn fanboys. Clemson, let's just let's just throw them in the equation. You know why Clemson doesn't even make it? Because USC beat Notre Dame. USC beats Notre Dame. So, like, Clemson's virtually out. So, so all you Clemson fanboys, like, Clemson's out. Because USC beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame smacked. Clemson. That's with our scenario. So that leaves one loss TCU, one loss USC, who's a conference champ, and a one loss Michigan team. And I, you know what I tell you guys? The committee will probably pick USC. The committee will probably go with USC. Me personally, I love USC. I love Lincoln Rally. And it, it's crazy because it speaks to how how damn good Lincoln Riley and Caleb William is. It, it speaks to how good they are because, damn, in their first year, USC has a legitimate path and they're playing games that have a lot of – that has tremendous playoff implications. That's that, Like, that's insane. But the committee would probably go with USC. So for you Michigan fans, for you TCU fans, that would be the four. In that scenario, that would be the four. It would be like I said, like in our scenario, that uh, that in our hypothetical world, right? That could happen. <laughs> um, Georgia and the winner of Ohio State, Michigan. Those are the top two seeds. But then we look at okay, now we have three one law. We have three one loss teams. One of one of those teams is a pack is an actual conference champion, which would be USC and out of the world. And the other two would be just one loss teams, non champions, uh, or three, three, four. It would be four one loss teams. Three of them are um, non champs, right? Tennessee would get that third spot. I'm just I'm just telling you guys like it is. Tennessee would get that third spot. And I like I said, the committee would probably roll with USC with the fourth spot. Given that you the, the, the committee has shown just just looking at their rankings, judging by their rankings over the past several weeks, not just this week, the committee has really shown a lot of love to USC. As I pointed out to you guys, they had them four spots above UCLA. Like, they have shown a lot of love to USC and to their own rankings. If USC was to run the table, they would probably have, USC would probably have three straight rank wins. So it, it would be it, it would be UCLA, Notre Dame, and the Pac, whoever they play in the Pac-12. That, I think that would weigh heavily on the committee. And then also... It's an L.A. market. It's an L.A. market. It's an L.A. market. I think that means a lot. So USC, they have an, they have a route to the college football playoff. That's crazy. And it's, it's crazy. To, it's really crazy to say because I can remember in college football, especially taking over like a big-time program, it would take 
certain coaches, it would take coaches two and three years to really get their own, you know, fingerprints all over the program and get their recruiting. Like that would that would that would be a process. Like Nick Saban, Alabama, it took him. I think it took Saban like two or three years to get going at Alabama. Like that, that to, to really put it in perspective. Now, like Lincoln Riley, he's winning. He's he has this this USC team ten. They're gonna be a ten win team. They're gonna they're gonna win ten games, right? They're gonna win ten games, and they were a four and eight team just in six months. That like that's insane, and a lot of that has to do with the transfer portal nil. Like a lot of that has to do with the transfer portal and so forth, and the utilization of that. Where like coaches, they can go, they get they get the job at one program, and they just bring a bunch of kids with them. <laughs> they just bring some, they bring some kids with them, and next thing you know, you look up, the whole goddamn program has turned around. So that's USC and our little scenario, right? That's USC's way in. Like, I, I, and and to really break that down further to you guys, it would help USC if TCU lost in the in the in the Big Twelve championship. Because it's like, okay, if if TCU just loses to Baylor. In the regular season, but they go, they still go on to win the Big Twelve championship. It's like okay, one loss, Big Twelve champion, one loss, Pac twelve champion. It, it like it's a little harder. I think with if 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 you're a USC fan, you're rooting that CCU. If they do lose, they lose in the Big Twelve championship game because that's an easier argument with like, okay, conference champion, non-conference champion, and we're USC. Like it, 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 that goes your way. I feel like, I think like nine times that goes your way. And I think if you're a USC fan, you're probably hoping that Michigan loses because if Michigan wins and Ohio state loses, Michigan goes on to, and like I said, in my scenario, the winner of that would go on to, you know, uh, they would be the two seed. Hypothetically, they win the Big Ten and they'd be the two seed. It it's a little harder if you're USC to argue that, okay, granted, we're a Pac-12 champion, but it's Ohio State in the eye test. And like it would go I think it's a little bit harder to really persuade a committee. Whereas with Michigan, I think it's a bit it, it can be like I think, I don't know, it's a bit easier, I think. It's an easier path. And like I said, Tennessee, I think ultimately gets in. Like, I think Tennessee ultimately gets in. In that scenario, I think there's a there's definitely a path for Tennessee to get in without all of that happening. But for the sake of argument, I think TC T- Tennessee would get in over a one loss TCU team if they were to lose in the Big Twelve championship. So that's I, I just thought I'd bring that to you guys' attention. Really a lot, a lot to really break down and think about, but that's what it is. So um, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up. I'm going to give you guys, last thing, I'm give you guys my top 10 teams list, top 10 list. Um, we're getting further and closer and closer down the stretch of the year, down the stretch of the season. So this list should be really, really interesting. Here goes my top 10 list. I took a quick break. All right, so 
Um, let's get to my top ten list. I'm excited. I got some. I got a couple new teams on here. Or oh, do I? Not a couple, but definitely did some um some soul searching. <laughs> I guess some soul searching, and uh, you know, had to drop some teams, put some teams above. You know, did a did a did a lot. So let's get into it. After a couple upsets, um, some teams winning some big time games on the road. Uh, this should be pretty interesting. So let's get into it. Let's go. So at 10, I know this is, I don't know, this team, they're just hard to watch, but they are good. It's the Titans. Like the Titans, I have them at 10. This is now back-to-back years where I think Mike Vrabel has just completely overachieved with this team. You look at last year, they were the number one seed in the AFC, mind you. Buffalo with Josh Allen. Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, like Mike Vrabel and his Tennessee Titans were the number one seed last year. That's with Derrick Henry missing some time. That's with A.J. Brown missing some time last year. Like a lot of their impactful offensive players were missing time. Now you fast forward to this year. No A.J. Brown, no real like threat at receiver that just like, oh, like they got a couple good receivers. But not like a real number one. That's the first point. Tannehill has dealt with some injuries. Uh, Derrick Henry starting to get his 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 legs back under him and starting to be King Henry again. But I just think like just this back to back years where like in in Vrabel he's consistent. He's as consistent as it get. The Titans don't do it as pretty um, and as finesse as a lot of the teams that we love. Um, and Vrabel doesn't look cool like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, but Vrabel is just as good as a coach. And he has his Titans the last seven games. They're six and one. And they were they 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 damn near beat Kansas City at Arrowhead with no quarterback. With with without their starting quarterback, I I don't know. I mean, I like I said, they they may be very hard to watch. But it's very, like, it's very hard to just, like, they're undeniably a good football team and well coached. So I got the Titans at ten, at nine. Um, I had some uh, going back and forth on it, but I I put the Ravens at nine. I think they're a really good football team. They're gonna definitely be a playoff team. I they're banged up. They're really really banged up. Secondary, um. The receiving core in terms of the passing options, they're banged up. So I do think it would would it surprise me if Cincinnati were to catch them? No. But as I said to you guys, Baltimore, they do a lot right. They win the they they win a lot of meaningful games. And also their schedule is really favorable. Like their schedule is really favorable. So like I said, you look up. Baltimore then piled up wins, and they, 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 they hell, they're ten and three team. They're a nine and three team because their schedule is really favorable. Ravens at nine, at eight, I put the Cowboys. Um, defensively, they're really good. Like, granted, I didn't, I, I didn't expect them to give up thirty-one points to the Packers, who have been just anemic offensively. But defenses have bad days. Their defense. Here's the truth about their defense. They can get to the quarterback. They have really, really good and talented pass rushers, but they struggle to stop the run. That 
that that would that has been proven. They struggled to stop the run, and that could be that could be a little worrisome in terms of looking at the teams that they would have to probably face in the postseason. That can be worrisome, but they can get to your quarterback. Offensively, I still see some struggles. Dak has really, really struggled on third and fourth down passing this year. Really struggled. And I, I think it's a combination of like play calling. I think it's a combination of like Dallas just, they're not just explosive enough offensively for me. And that's just been my harping point um, back and forth with Dallas offensively. I have them at eight. At seven, I have the Bills. I have the Bills. I'm, 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 I'm so serious, y'all. I, the Bills have some really big problems. Like they're they're super talented. They're super fun to watch. They lead the league in total offense. I think they're still top three in passing offense. But they got some real issues. Josh Allen and the sporadic um, turnover machine that he's become. Uh, them not being able to run the football. Them being Josh Allen dependent not being able to win close games, these are some major red flags in terms of when we're speaking about a Super Bowl or supposedly a Super Bowl caliber team. These are some major red flags. Not not being able to run the football, not being controlled the line of scrimmage, not being able to close out close football games. I, that, that That's real. They're still a good team. They're really good. They're really talented. They can they can beat you up, they can blow you out, but if you just keep it close with them, and if it's a close game, they just fold. They just fold. And Allen and Josh Allen, he's not as efficient as he has become over the past few years. He's actually linking. He's going back and falling back into his way, his older ways, his younger ways as he when he first came into the league. Bills at seven, at six, I have the 49ers. now. I know it recently or just of late, I have been really high on the 49ers all year, really. They're they're starting to get back healthy, which I like. I think that's a good sign. They have the number one defense, and over the past two games, they have held their opponent scoreless in the second half. But they have to play a certain way to win. Like, they can't trail 17 points to, like, they can't. Because Jimmy Garoppolo... It's just not a formula for it's just not a recipe for success. That's not how they win. They win a certain way, and thankfully, they ha- they're talented enough where they can control. They can do a lot of controlling the game, the tr- controlling the pace of the game because they're well coached. They're talented. They have star. They have. I feel it feels like they have a star at literally every position or every level of their team, every unit of their team. So. They can they can get away with kind of being a little lopsided and happening to play a certain way because their players and their coaching can dictate the pace of the game. But if a hey, if they're trailing by double digit, if they're tra- if they're man, it they, they, it it becomes really difficult for them because they have to play a certain way. But I love this 49ers team. I got them at six. I think they're really good. At five, I got Cincinnati. Cincinnati, um, Joe Burrow's one of three quarterbacks who's completing 70% of his passes. So Joe, we we all know Joe Burrow is highly, highly efficient. Um, I want them to have more of a consistent running game because Joe Mixon and his, and his offensive line, Joe Mixon is a really, really talented back. 
I think with we look at these weapons and these wet receivers and Joe Burrow, we like, well, we fell in love with the passing game. But if Cincinnati can actually run the football as well as they have shown to do so without Jamar Chase, they they are really they they can be really dangerous and potent. I like I like Cincinnati. Cincinnati at five. At four, I have the Dolphins. I, I think and, and here's my thing. Tua's won a lot of games. He's very it's very like it's very Jew Breeze like. Like in terms of his completion percentage, um, him having I think he's completing he's completing seventy percent of his passes, uh, and he's not turning on the football. He looks really good. Tua looks really good. Now here's my thing. I don't think Tua Tua he's getting a lot of MVP consideration, and I think the story of Tua is really phenomenal. But if we're being real, I think the real story in Miami is Mike McDaniel. He is a awesome, awesome play caller and play designer. And then it also helps that Tyreek Hill is an absolute just you like defenses pay so much attention to him. We're like they forget that Jalen Waddle is on the field and Jalen Waddle is a really good deep threat. But Tyreek Hill is that explosive. He is like he he demands your attention. So granted, I think Tua looks really good. I'm happy for Tua, but I think a lot of this story in Miami has to do with Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel's into in Tyreek Hill. Like honestly, a lot of I think a lot has had to do with that. And then defensively, people don't realize Bradley Chubb is a really good player. Like they acquired him in the deadline. That was a really great acquisition that Miami made. So Miami at four, I think Miami, they're really good. I, do they have a ceiling? Could they possibly have a ceiling? Yes. But they look really good right now. Miami at four. At three, I have the Vikings. I have the Vikings. I know. I know Kirk Cousins has his moments where, like, he can shrink in big spots, but this team, they're, they, they're winning all of the close games. They're kind of similar to Philly where, like, they're winning time of possession. They're winning, a, like, a lot of these games. They're winning um, they're, they're winning the turnover margin. So we'll see what happens with that. But Minnesota, they, I mean, mind you, they were the team last year that lost every game that was decided by six points. Now, this year, they're the team that's winning all of the close games. They're winning all of the close games, and they're coming back. They, they're a lot of the time they're trailing. Here's the thing with their defense: their defense, their edges are really good. They're able to get to the quarterback effectively. Their secondary is the issue and kind of the weak link of their defense. I think if 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 teams have really good tackles, if they're t- if like if they're going up against a team that has good tackles, like really good light left tackle right tackle combination. That could that could do some harm to them because like a team like Philly, Philly could exploit. I think Philly can exploit some of those secondary holes that um that that Minnesota has. You even kind of saw granted Buffalo lost. You even kind of saw in the Buffalo game where Buffalo was able to exploit in certain ways. They were able to exploit 
Minnesota's secondary. That's the weak part of that defense. So if you're if you're able to give your quarterback some time versus those pass rushing those those, those edges versus of Minnesota, you can throw on them. You can score some points on Minnesota. Um, but the Vikings are a one. Like I told you guys, I told you guys a month ago, their schedule's favorable. It's light. You are gonna look up and the Vikings are eight one football team. Here they are. Vikings at three. At two, I have the Eagles. Like I said, like I said earlier in the pod, nothing has changed for me. My feelings haven't changed about Philly. I still think they're legit. I don't think I don't think they're fool's gold. I'd look at the Eagles. They're the only team in football that's top five in offense and top five in defense. They're well balanced. I just think we have more data. They're not Kansas City. They can't play from behind. They can't, they, they can't. They're not going to always win the turn, turnover margin and play from behind. And that's why I had the Kansas City Chiefs at number one. They can play from behind. They, I feel like they can just beat you. Kansas City don't have to play their best to beat you. Like Kansas City can literally probably sleepwalk through a first half and beat the really good teams in, in this league. I, I really, I really, I, I really think that. Granted, they got some secondary issues. Um, but if you're, if you have the lead on them, you're going to lean towards running the football, but then they're going to, they just, they like Kansas City, nobody plays better from behind than Kansas City. It's a weird element that they have. And that's why I have them at number one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. And get this stat. I think this is a cool stat. Mahomes has thrown a touchdown pass to two, to 10 different receivers, 10 different receivers. So when I was talking about early in the year, when I was talking about, hey, Tyreek Hill, he's he's a, he's an ultimate weapon, which he is showing in Miami. Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. They, they, they're going to be fine. They won't be able to duplicate what he does, but can his production be replaced? By a multitude of people, yes, and that is what that's what that's what's happened. You know, obviously you still got Kelsey, but you got Juju Smith-Schuster, who's become like Mahomes, like go-to third-down target. You, now they have Kadarius Tony, another speedster on top of the speedsters that they already had. Like Kansas City has the, I think they're the best team in the league right now. Um, so yeah, that's my top ten list. Um, and I'm going to wrap it up here. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, I know this is pretty lengthy, but I hope you guys enjoyed. You guys haven't really heard from me all, all week. So take this. Um, you guys will get a couple episodes next week. Next week is Thanksgiving. So I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. Uh, gather around with your families. Be thankful. So forth. Eat some good food, whatever. Uh, big week in college football. These next, these next, like the next month is really big in college football. So you guys, my college football people, you're going to get a lot of you're going to get a lot of lot of content, a lot of college football content. Um we're getting closer and closer towards playoff football. Man, football season has gone by so fast. So, I hope you guys enjoy. Always remember two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace, deuces, gone.